I'm thinking about magic pretty much all the time. Like I, I spend more time thinking about magic than probably anything else. And it, it's just the kind of thing that gets stuck in, at least for me, gets stuck in my mind. And I'm just always thinking about the, the cards and the synergies and the different stuff. So I actually started learning music when I was pretty young. So I like took piano lessons. I remember doing music like at church back in the day when I was a kid. So music had always been like part of my life. I actually really like psychology and I feel like that's one of the courses of study that can apply to your real life and apply to your uh, social media and interacting with people and community building. So I think it actually does in a weird way actually apply to what I'm doing now. You're listening to Seth probably better known as Saffron Olive, on Humans of Magic. Hello, 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 and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. As always, I'm your host, James Sue. Welcome to the second episode of the new year. We're at episode 87 with none other than Saffron Olive, one of the kindest, nicest magic personalities around. Just love talking to him. His energy is amazing. The man is thinking about magic all the time. And this is a good one. We just sit down and have a a nice conversation, mostly magic related, but we also go into some other personal things about Seth's past. And if you just enjoy Seth or Saffron all of the personality as I do, then I think you will really dig this episode. A few quick words before we get started. I would love for you to give the Humans of Magic Twitter account a follow. That's Humans of Magic, one word. We're trying to grow the social media presence a little bit. Make sure you give us a follow, subscribe, like, review, rating, and all the various podcast platforms like Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. We are everywhere, and it would be highly gratifying if you could take the time to show your support. It is highly appreciated. Speaking of appreciation, I would be completely, totally amiss if I did not mention the brand new intro and the brand new music that you're hearing throughout Humans and Magic, and you will hear for the rest of the year. The music is brought to you by Kupla. Kupla is an amazing musician, and he just dropped a new album called Mirage. So you can find Kupla's Mirage streaming everywhere. You can also pick up the limited edition vinyl that he's selling. To get those details, just basically follow Kupla. That's Kupla, K-U-P-L-A. Find him online. Say hi, give him a follow. He's a great musician and the music is simply amazing. So once again, please make sure you give Kupla the love that he deserves and for powering all the episodes of Humans of Magic. Thank you. Without further ado, this is Saffron Olive on Humans of Magic. Seth, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm super excited to be here. We've been we've been trying to do this episode for a long time, and it's mostly my fault with being so busy that we haven't done it yet. So I'm super excited that we're finally uh, finally getting to do it and have a chat. No, I mean it's totally fine. I mean a lot of stuff has come up over the past year, or maybe even two years. It's just been 
one thing after another. I know you've got your regular obligations. I shouldn't say obligations. Maybe it's a, it's a joy to do things for MTG Goldfish. And uh, it, it's not an issue at all <laughs> whatsoever. But I'm excited that we're doing it. How would you describe what you do to someone who's never seen or read or heard what you do? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. So that's actually like... <sighs> That's a tough question. I feel like I go through this with like my grandparents or whatever. And it's really hard if you don't understand like streaming and you don't understand magic to like kind of explain it to someone. I think most of like my older relatives think I do magic tricks or something uh, for a living. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, I mean, so what do I do? I, I make YouTube videos. I think that's pretty accessible for people. I, I do YouTube streaming. It's basically like YouTube, but live, I guess, is part of my job. And then the other part of my job that is more behind the scenes that people don't see is kind of the the content manager aspect of working at goldfish which is like uh editing some articles and working with some of the other content creators on the site on their stuff uh posting everyone's stuff so uh, it's kind of a a whole bunch of different things that go into to what i do but probably the the easiest is i i make content i write articles uh i, I make videos and then do some of the behind the scenes stuff too excellent Seth, sorry, I'm going to edit this part out. I need to go do something with my cat. Like he is being a nuisance and I'll be right back in 30 seconds. Yeah. You're good. I got a dog. I know how it is. Things have gotten a lot in more interesting since I've started having pets or cats to be exact. It's uh, basically um, year two or just over a year since I've had my two cats now. And it's just a learning experience. And I, I think cats are just eminently less trainable than dogs, which can be good and bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been going through that too. I, I got a puppy what, three, four months ago now. So I've been I've been kind of doing that, uh, that whole process too. So I, I know where you're at for the most part. A little different with the cat versus dog things, but definitely a learning experience for sure. Is this the first dog or have you always been kind of raising or taking care of dogs over the course of your life? So I've had dogs, uh, like growing up, we always had dogs around, but this is the first dog I've had, like, I guess, as an adult, I've always like been here and there and in apartments, some of them didn't allow pets. So it just never lined up for me to have like my own dog as an adult. So, so this is the first one as an adult, but I had some experience as a kid, I guess, growing up. Was there something that motivated you to get the puppy now? Was it just because of the apartment rules and whatnot, or was it something else bigger? That was that was a big one, really. Like I I got a I ended up getting a house finally and uh, moving oh, out of the apartment situation, <laughs> and and that was kind of what uh, what spurred me to do it. I've been wanting to do it for a while, but the the living situation didn't line up until uh, until recently when I got the house. Got it. Okay, that that's that's a that's a huge tangent for me. But going back to what you said about content manager, the things you do behind the scenes. So it sounds like you're kind of like the editor in chief of Goldfish, if I'm not mistaken like you know you have basically. like editorial and things like that yeah basically how how it's set up is like richard uh founded the site and he's the owner of the site and he does pretty much all the back end stuff like the programming and anything like that is is richard's domain and then uh, pretty much anything on the front end as far as content and stuff is is more or less my domain yeah excellent so what kinds of things have you been working on this week are you excited about something did you just finish a stream or an article like tell me about you know what what your week has been so far i guess we're halfway through so oh so this week i've been i've been doing a lot of gameplay i'm working one of the things i've been really interested in lately is like 
uh, kind of magic history, nostalgia stuff. I feel like that's something that's been missing a little bit lately. Like Wizards used to maintain a lot of that stuff, the Hall of Fame. And there's like this pretty direct connection from like arena and present magic to like past magic. But a lot of that, I feel like has kind of fallen away recently. So that's something I've been uh, been really interested in. So I've been doing a lot of stuff uh, that I'm working on just very recently with like old gameplay stuff from the 90s. Some, I don't know if you've ever seen like back when Magic was on ESPN2 in the late 90s, they did like series of ads that are like absolutely hilarious when you look at them now because they're all like WWF wrestlers. Like just the way they act is like trash talking and stuff. So I've been doing a lot with the with old stuff that isn't ready to come out yet, but it's stuff I've been working on and hopefully will be, you know, public pretty soon once I finish it up. So that's been my big project uh, recently. Just so you know, I am a child of the 90s. So I started playing Magic in 93 or 94 with my brother, the the, the two-player starter deck, Revised yep. Edition. And I remember all the uh, issues of Scry, Inquest, the Duelist. I had Nolathne Dragon from, I, I don't know, it was the second or oh. third uh, issue yep. of the Duelist. So you're speaking my language. I, I, I don't know oh. if you also played back then, but that, that's definitely a seminal moment or a decade for me. So Yeah, I, I started later. So I really love the history of the game. And I, I've always thought that's one of the things... One you appreciate history, which is even better. Yeah, but one of the things Magic has over other games, like you got Hearthstone and all these other new games, but none of those games have like 30 years of history and this like huge past to look back on. So I started actually more around like original Ravnica, like mid 2000s is when I first started learning. So oh, that's a good so time to start. The, yeah. yeah. So I missed out on the 90s era, but I, I'm kind of a student of history when it comes to Magic, I think. So I really appreciate the, all that stuff. No, that's super awesome. I do remember the commercials and the, <laughs> in hindsight, they're kind of corny, the ads, but they, they have a certain appeal. You know, wasn't there a commercial where you saw the, actually the monster kind of like burst through and it, there's like some animatronics and animated oh, kind of thing? It's, oh, yeah. I, I want to say, I don't know if that was the, oh, man. Was it like Bob from accounting or something that was like had to fight yes. the monster? Like some of them are so so funny. Like they're very nineties-y, but oh, they're still pretty hilarious. And I feel like it's stuff that people today would appreciate to some extent. Like it's uh, there's a lot of players that I think were playing in the nineties and they're still playing, or maybe like were playing and then came back into the game because of arena. Maybe they fell out of it and this was their chance to like you know play a little bit at home. So I think it's it's got a nice like nostalgia factor too, and I, I think people like. I wish more people knew about that stuff. So that's kind of one of my goals for, for this year is to like get some of that old stuff out there that I feel like people would appreciate, but it's just like not super easy to find. Or if you weren't playing back then, maybe you don't even know about it. Some of it is those weird like moments from the, from the early years of the game. For sure. I mean, that's a lot of, I mean, as you, you said it right there, like it's all about the magic history. It's all about the, the 30 years. And uh, I, I guess we have a, an interesting video or article series to look forward to or a one shot i don't know like i guess you yeah I, yeah there, there will hopefully be be more than one of them it's a the first one isn't even out yet this is kind of a new project that i just started working on this year so uh, the first one's not out yet hopefully in the not super distant future we also got uh i don't know if you know phil brewer's kitchen um another content creator he's relatively new to goldfish he had his own channel really good at doing like video editing so we're kind of teaming up with him doing some of the editing because i'm not super good at video editing uh and me doing a lot of the content aspects so uh that kind of also was something that brought this project uh together i guess is having him around to do some like really good editing for it so i'm, I'm really hyped about it and uh, excited for people to see it once it comes out that's that's excellent so 
I guess this is sort of like a community question, but I also am super curious. Like you're constantly, I would say, innovating in the magic space, right? Because you're coming up with brews, you're coming up with these new ideas or flashback content. You're talking about, you know, MTG finance once in a while. I've enjoyed a lot of your articles on that. And you fire off tweets all the time, which I think I really enjoy the tweets because they're not really, they don't feel like they're pre-calculated. They're just like, I just am thinking something or I have a point of view. Let's just say it and let's just see what happens, which I think is very um, spontaneous. I think the, I think the best word I'll use is spontaneous. I, I really feel that as someone who, you know, follows you. Right. So I guess the question here is how do you, coalesce everything and decide like, okay, I'm going to do this tweet this week, or I'm going to do this article series this week. I'm really excited about playing legacy and, you know, five for one someone with cabal therapy. And like, how is it all spontaneous or is there like a, a method to the madness? So a lot of it's relatively spontaneous. It's stuff like uh, I've been thinking about in the last day or in the last, you know, sometimes it's even less than that. It's something that just pops up, especially with social media like Twitter. Uh, a lot of it's very spontaneous. And then the uh, I guess there's some checks and balances or there's things that uh, you type it out and then you realize, okay, maybe I'm not actually going to tweet that one. So I don't tweet everything that pops into my head. But most of the things I do tweet are are very spontaneous. As far as the content, I think that's pretty spontaneous too. Like I usually, this stuff that is going up on the website, I'm usually working on a few days ahead of time for the most part, sometimes more or less depending on my schedule. But a lot of it is like a a cool deck list gets published on whatever by wizards on one of the websites or it comes across my Twitter. Uh, Most recently, the the Cabal Therapy deck was someone posted on, (laughs) it came across my Twitter from someone that I actually hadn't even followed. And they were like, hey, I got this deck. I did well with it. And it looked appealing. I was like, I'm going to record a video then just kind of jumped on Moto and recorded a video. So uh, my content is for the most part, very spontaneous. But then there's also the more, like we were talking about before, the the more long-term projects, like the the history stuff that I've been working on, that, that takes a little bit more planning. Like stuff like that doesn't work as well with the spontaneity do you think in terms of goals or what mtg goldfish is trying to do or what you're trying to do or what maybe your your content team i guess for lack of a better term is trying to do or are you just thinking like on a more short-term basis i'm trying to understand like how you because in a lot of ways i know that richard is the, the owner of goldfish but you're one of the prominent faces of it so it's it feels like you kind of have to run this thing as if it was a really was a venture or a brand and like you have to like you know what what are we doing for to make content that's appealing so there's sort of like a spontaneity versus planning so I'm, I'm curious how you think about that yeah so I mean there is there is some amount of planning especially when there's big changes like what do you do when alchemy comes along alchemy has been like a big thing we've been kind of dealing with recently because it's a new format which me personally that excites me because I like new magic cards so even if it's weird and digital only like and I know there's downsides to it I'm excited to try it but at the same time there's been a lot of really negative feedback where some people really don't like it so there are things that do require more long-term planning I would say that really I think that long-term planning is probably more Richard's strong suit uh, as far as 
site stuff uh, as far as metrics and where the site needs to get in stuff like that. That that would be stuff that I think Richard would have uh, more, uh, have a better perspective on probably. I, I do plan some stuff out, but I think I'm, I'm mostly thinking, okay, like how can we make the best videos or articles possible in the next couple of weeks or in this week even rather than like, okay, six months from now, three years from now, five years from now, like where do we want goldfish to be? There is like some big picture stuff, like growing the community, like that's something I really value and trying to be uh, welcoming new members into the goldfish community, stuff like that's kind of like overarching long-term goals. But for the most part, as far as content stuff, I think it's relatively short-term focus. And I think that's like gotten even more so recently because things change so quickly with bannings, uh, new set releases, new products coming out. The, the cycles just sped up so much that as far as content, it, it really is, I think, very short-term oriented at this point. Got it. And my other question is, because you have a team at Goldfish, right? You have other content creators. So do you give them some suggestions on what they should be doing? Like, hey, you know, it's Alchemy Week or Alchemy Month, or is it just like, just like Krim do his uh, Crixus videos? And I I'm trying to understand what that process is like, so... So, so we talk about stuff. Uh, we're, we're always just like talking about deck lists and about magic stuff and about... Careful bear. Sorry, my, my puppy kicked my microphone. Um, so we're always talking about stuff, deck lists, content and stuff like that. But really, I've always felt, and this is what I found with me, is that the best content is the content that you are passionate about making. So I've never really, I don't know, been someone that like, hey, Krim, make this video or something. Like that's just, even though I guess technically that's probably like, uh, I guess I'm Krim's boss, quote unquote, technically. It's never really felt that way. And I've always felt like, normally the best content comes from uh, what you're passionate about. So if Krim wants to make Grixis videos all the time because he loves Grixis, I think that's actually like probably the best thing for Krim to be making because that's what he's actually pretty passionate about. So we do some planning like that and we do have like, you know, some meetings and talk about, oh, like uh, whatever, people aren't liking alchemy right now. So maybe we shouldn't do as much alchemy as we are doing before, but on a more micro level of like play this deck or don't play this deck, like that's well, that, that's completely up to what everyone wants to do. So I want to bring the next question to an ongoing series that you have at Goldfish, which is the Against the Odds series, or, I mean, there's variations of that, but that series has been really fundamental to a lot of people because it's really helped budget-conscious players. I mean, I think, first of all, it helped, it's really exciting for brewers, uh, such as yourself, because I'm guessing that you don't have as much in terms of budget considerations when you're doing the role where <laughs> in your role but i think it's yeah. also just good for people who like brewing or are budget conscious to do that so can you give me the origin story of against the odds like how that came about and maybe later even sort of the kinds of feedback that you've gotten because even just in asking for questions for this episode i've gotten some real positivity around that series yeah, so so there's kind of uh, against odds, and then there's also budget magic, which are like two like related series that I do. The budget magic one is the one that's like exclusively budget focused, and then the against odds one, I try to keep it budget friendly. But the main focus is like doing you know cool brews and crazy things with magic cards. I think one of the things I realized when I first started making uh, making content is I'm not a pro player. I've never been someone who's tried to like grind to platinum or you're like qualified to the pro tour that's just not something that i actually really care that much about the traveling the whole lifestyle of it just didn't appeal to me it's never something i wanted to do so when i started making content i figured 
if you wanted to learn a top tier deck, you might as well watch LSB. You might as well watch Reed Duke. Like, why would you watch me play, you know, random top tier deck? What do I like playing in Magic? And ever since I started playing Magic, I loved uh, weird brews. I loved building with the cards that I had access to because I didn't want to spend a ton of money to buy the cards, especially when I first started. Uh, you don't want to spend tons of money. So it just seemed like a natural fit. And I, I feel like, especially when it started, that wasn't something that like was happening a lot at the time back in like 2015 or something. A lot of the content was very like spike focused. So there's also kind of a gap there, I think, as far as magic content, focusing more on like the fun side of the game, the budget side of the game that, you know, maybe LSV or Reduke or whatever, like that doesn't fit necessarily what they're doing, but it could fit really well how I liked playing magic. So that's kind of really how it started was that philosophy of uh, not really going after the tier decks and trying to like compete with LSV or whatever, as far as, you know, making the best spike content, but kind of doing my own thing. And both of those series, I think, just are natural fits for how I always played magic, even before I started making content with the, just kind of the wacky brews and the budget aspect and whatnot. And how has it been received over the years? You know, the, the two series against the odds and, and, uh, and budget, it seems like from, for me, it seems like very well, but I'm curious to know, like, if you have an inside track to these kind of things. (laughs) Shockingly well, like when when I started making magic (laughs) content, it was basically like, more or less a fluke like how i started making magic content just uh, happenstance luck whatever um so i came into it without any real expectation it's not like i set out to you know get so many youtube subs or viewers or anything so i think both of them have like just shattered any expectations that i would have had when i started doing them and i think they I think they've been helpful for the community as well. Like I think budget decks and fun brews or stuff that keep people interested in the game, allow people to keep playing the game. Like uh, when you have budget decks, you can actually, you know, not have to spend $1,500 on a modern deck or something. They have something that maybe is a hundred dollars and you can still, you know, compete with it. Your F and M. I think they've been pretty beneficial for the community uh, and they've worked out really well as far as like the content aspect. How much of your waking time is spent thinking about magic because i would imagine that there's one universe where like seth or saffron olive is like just getting these ideas by you know user submission or hey i hey team go find me a deck i'm gonna play this (laughs) week right it's kind of like a kind of like a one way to imagine it but another way is like just Maybe this is, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like you're just always thinking about magic and then that's how you're able to create these ideas. And it's not necessarily, I mean, you absorb a lot of magic content, don't get me wrong, but you're probably also thinking a lot, like I've got this idea in my head and maybe it rolls around for like a long time before it happens. So the question here is how much of your time is spent thinking about magic? And then how did you, how do you come up with those concepts? Is it a combination of like, self-thinking or is it like you also just curate from different places uh so i spend i'm thinking about magic pretty much all the time like i I spend more time thinking about magic than probably anything else and it's kind of always been like that ever since i really got into magic i even before i was doing content here as well like 
it's just the kind of thing that gets stuck in, at least for me, gets stuck in my mind. And I'm just always thinking about uh, the cards and the synergies and the different stuff. As far as the actual content aspect, I do like, I do a lot of content in an average week. I probably play like seven different decks, eight different decks between streams and like videos on YouTube. So I don't brew seven different decks a week. Some of those, I find a cool list that got published somewhere. Some of those is something that someone sent me like a viewer deck and I play it on stream. But as far as like against odds and budget magic in specific, and most of the the content that you see on YouTube and some of the content that you see on streams as well like that's just stuff that I that I brew essentially like especially budget magic and against odds are basically exclusively decks that I've been thinking about uh decks the synergies that I want to explore and then trying to turn those into decks that are functional enough or at least fun enough to make a video out of that people are going to be interested in seeing got it have there ever been points in time through your content career where you've just I don't know maybe you felt on the verge of burning out or it just felt like it was a lot I mean you seem genuinely like someone who loves and is passionate about magic that that's that's real but I'm wondering oh, yeah. if like there have ever been times where you felt like close to the edge or the proverbial edge as it were there's times when it gets really busy there was times especially a couple years ago um I started doing like uh, during spoiler season, I would do daily videos, like reviewing all the spoilers from the day, pretty much on top of everything else I was doing. Uh, and it just, uh, so, and I've kind of changed my schedule a little bit with how spoilers work. Now I still make those videos and love doing those videos, but I cut out some other stuff during spoiler season. So it's not like it used to be, but there were some times where there'd be certain weeks where it could just get a little bit overwhelming, I guess, where it's just like so much to do, where maybe it was a little bit too much to do. But as far as magic in general, I've never really been burnt out on magic. And I think the main reason is magic is like a whole bunch of different games and if i right. am not liking you know standard or i'm not liking historic or alchemy then i play modern or then i play legacy and then eventually a new set comes out and i go back to standard so that's kind of how i've dealt with i guess the possibility of burnout as far as playing magic is just jumping from formats to formats and there i don't think there's ever been a time where all the formats have been in a place where i was disliking them and not wanting to play them and just like done with magic so that's kind of been my strategy Got it. Because you're not a, a pure spike who's trying to qualify for the PT or back when there was a PT all the time. So you wouldn't just be focused on one format, obviously. And it sounds like yeah. in terms of the workload thing, you found a way to to balance it better or maybe just not put so much on yourself. Right. Is that fair to say? I think one of the hardest parts of because I work like uh, pretty independently as far as getting my content done. I don't really have anyone like looking over my shoulder and being like, okay, you got this deadline. You got to get this done. I know what I got to get done each week. And you're very self-driven. It sounds like, yeah, it is. And the pressure is always to do more. Like when you're in that position is someone who's like kind of somewhat independent, even though I'm, you know, a full-time employee of goldfish, the pressure is always to do more. And I'm always feeling, have I done enough? Could I be doing more? So I think a lot of it was me changing my mindset and being like, okay, it's spoiler season. I got all these extra videos it's okay if I stream, you know, two times this week instead of three times this week, or it's okay if I do one less gameplay video on the YouTube. So I think really it was, it was me being, uh, being able to just come to grips with that and like, accept that it's okay to do a little bit less sometimes when, when uh, you have a bunch of other stuff going on. How, how do you come up with that realization? Because I think it's not that easy. Like a lot of us, it doesn't matter what kind of job we have. We're just kind of on autopilot, right? Just try to do the same thing this week as last week. So how did you come to that realization that, okay, I should stream two times instead of three times. It doesn't sound like that's easy for a lot of people. 
ah, it's still not easy for me necessarily. Like still like uh, there's that like nagging there. Like, oh, I, I really, you know, wish I could be streaming now. So it's still, it still can be a challenge. <sighs> I think it eventually just got to the point where uh, I remember, I can't remember what spoiler season it was, but there was a spoiler season where I was just, it was just way too much. And I was just like kind of over the edge a little bit. And I noticed that I like, wasn't enjoying doing the spoiler videos and that's like one of my favorite things to do nothing i love more than talking about new magic cards that's one of my favorite things in the whole world and when i realized wait there's all these new magic cards my favorite thing and it's kind of feeling like work rather than something i enjoy which is how it's always felt that's what made me think okay like i gotta i gotta re-examine my mindset with this i gotta do something a little bit different because something's like a little bit a little bit off right now so i think that's what spurred me to maybe be more introspective about it to examine it more and then kind of like lead me down that path. Although, like I said, it's still, it's still a challenge because I still have that feeling like, oh man, I could, you know, I could be streaming more. I could be doing this more. I could do another article. So I assume it's a challenge now more than ever because spoiler season is year round now. It just feels like even as a, a player, right? Like once a set is barely out and then they've got the next set announced and uh, there might be, even when we were talking about scheduling this, like you're like, James, I think there might be like three days or a week <laughs> before, like in between the different sets. And yeah, I mean, how, how do you how do you manage that? Because like it's it's difficult enough as a as a player or collector, let alone as a as a content creator. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that was part of it, too, is back when we got like four sets a year, it was pretty easy to be like, OK, I'm going to be busy for a week or two during spoiler season. And then things will go back to normal for two, you know, two months, two and a half months, and then we'll do it again. But then we got to the point where you just have sets constantly. So it's uh, you're you're in spoiler season more than you're not in spoiler season. So that was another thing that kind of spurred that change, I guess. <sighs> I mean, I guess the good news is I, I really enjoy the spoiler aspect of it. That's one of my favorite parts of what I do. So that makes it a little bit easier, I think. But that is one of my concerns with with magic overall is just like how much stuff there is. And I, I feel like wizards might be at risk of like burning out the entire community, just overloading the entire community with just like how much there is, uh, you know, demanding your attention all the time as far as new products. Yeah, for sure. Switching gears a little bit. I want to get your, your magic origin story in more detail because you said you started playing, was it 2000 with Ravnica or so? Yeah, I started playing whenever. So original Ravnica, I want to say what 2004, 2005, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in that range. Yeah. So that was like the most recent set. The cards I had. So the way, okay, the way I started, um, I, I had a roommate at the time who I didn't actually know played Magic. One day he came home and had a bunch of cards he got from his mom's. G- give me a uh, give me an age basement. range. Were you in college? Were you like in yes, high school? This or? was this was during college. This was this was college. Yeah, during college, my roommate comes home with a bunch of these magic cards, and this was also when I was I was big into like the music scene at the time, and I didn't really know magic at all. So at first, I was kind of like, "What is this? You know, fantasy card game?" I didn't really do the fantasy thing a whole lot growing up, so it was very foreign to me at first. Although I had like played poker and I love strategy games, so eventually I realized, oh, this is like this is kind of like poker. It's got a lot of strategy in it. And that kind of like grew me into into it. And then it had the deck building aspect, which I found super addicting. So I remember the the first deck I built, we basically had a big box of, I think it was mostly mirrored in black cards at the time is what came out of the basement and we had to build with. I built this like charge counter deck with Eon Storm, this horrible red enchantment from a mirrored in or fifth on. And that was like the deck I had. So we had a small play group that just kind of like 
played with, you know, friends from college. So that was my like introduction to the game. But then how I really learned magic and what really got me into it, and this is a little counterintuitive, is we had a another friend who had cards at his mom's basement and ended up getting them and joining our play group. But he was more of like a, a competitive player. And he showed up with like stasis lock decks. He was playing uh, like scepter chant locks. And I'm playing this horrible Eon Storm arcbound uh, like crusher whatever the like eight mana arcbound lord thing is like just a really janky casual against the odds deck and i was just getting crushed every time we play like getting stasis locked not being able to do anything getting a scepter chant locked not being able to cast any spells and that actually drew me more into the game the trying to figure out how to beat that was like super addictive eventually i realized oh i can play like shatter and that can kill the scepter at instant speed and i can put that into my deck and that's kind of what led me down the path of like getting more involved in magic really was getting whipped again and again and again just stomped <laughs> by these like prison decks that i had no business playing against at the time that's interesting because for a lot of players, they might just react differently. They might just be like, this game is not very fun. Let me yeah. do something else. But it seems like you were a glutton for punishment. You came back, you got better. You learned how to not play eight casting costs cards or eight mana cards. Well, I, I mean, I, I still haven't learned that, but <laughs> I did learn that. I did learn how to beat some of those interactions. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's how I started playing. And then eventually what really got me even more uh, more involved was picking up magic online eventually like eventually i realized oh i can do this on my computer and i can play magic all the time and i can draft all the time and that's when i really like fell into the magic rabbit hole once i started playing online too so you were not really a conventional kitchen table player right because you got into magic online did you start going to i don't know if it was fnms back then or did you play more competitively back then even in your early days no so i mean i guess the kitchen table play would be kind of playing with the roommates and the friends in college like that was a that was my kitchen table experience even though it involved stasis locks and all that stuff but still like that that was my kitchen table play um and then once i started playing on magic online and kind of everyone you know from college went their own ways and the play group kind of fell apart that's kind of where i've primarily played i've never never really been a huge paper magic player if anything i've gotten more involved in paper magic recently with like building commander decks and stuff like that but i went pretty heavily into magic online and never really did the the paper tournament thing for the most part so did magic online just take over your life as it did for many people basically basically yes <laughs> more <laughs> or less oh my god I, I did so many cube drafts oh my i lost so i'm sure i lost so much money because i wasn't even good back then but oh it was just so addicting i remember just drafting for like eight hours a day and just it's like just cubing. always there yeah oh yeah, it's always there and it was oh, it's just so much fun. So, so yeah, I, I definitely fell super deep in the rabbit hole. And I guess that kind of ended up working out in the end because all that, I guess, kind of led to my career in a very weird roundabout way eventually. But, but yeah, I, I went pretty deep in the magic online rabbit hole. Yeah. So just going back a little bit, you were a musician, right? Or you were really into music, you said, when your roommate showed you magic or at the time. So tell me about that. Like, What's your music background? Like, I'm trying to understand that. So, so I actually started learning music when I was pretty young. Like, um, I grew up in a super religious, like conservative family. So I like took piano lessons. I remember doing music like at church back in the day when I was a kid. So music had always been like part of my life. But then as I got older, um, I became more interested in 
like indie music, rock music. I taught myself guitar. And then by the time I was in college, that's when I started um, kind of doing the band thing. Uh, I was never a rock star or anything, but I had bands that would, you know, play around local shows and regional shows and stuff. Uh, so that was kind of like my main focus at the time when I, uh, around the time when I started picking up magic actually was playing shows and playing music and doing the whole band thing, writing songs. Uh, and then eventually magic kind of joined that mix too. And it was magic and music. And now I still love music and I still play music. I'm not playing any bands now, but uh, now it's shifted more towards the magic aspect, but Interesting. So from piano to rock music, did you have any particularly strong influences as far as music goes growing up or? Ooh, so or maybe you were so just yeah. exposed to a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. So growing up when I was really young, uh, the I didn't have a ton of really good influences, a pretty, pretty sheltered, I guess, upbringing as far as uh, as far as music is concerned. But then once I got a little bit older and really started exploring stuff for myself, uh, Velvet Underground is like a super big one for me that actually like. I don't know. I'm big on the history of music too. Velvet Underground, they make good music, but they're also like responsible for a lot of bands that I ended up loving and were really influential for me later. Uh, yeah, you know, Pixies, a lot of the early 2000s indie rock scene, um, Modest Mouse and Wilco, a, a lot of bands in that era were also like pretty influential on, uh, on my musical taste. These are really good bands, yes. And uh, <laughs> where, where does your appreciation for history come from, you think? Because you, you talked about it in the context of music, but also for magic. So I'm, I'm just curious about that. I think it comes from when I when I was growing up, I, I just used to read a lot. I loved reading books. I, I still do to some extent, but not like I did when I was a kid. I used to read so much. And I think that's what kind of like kindled the interest in history. It was just like reading all kinds of stuff and being interested in the past and the stories from the past. And that's just kind of carried over. And I, I don't know. I think I think that everything we do now, like in some sense, like we owe to the people who were doing that before. I think that in magic, a lot of ways, in a music, a lot of ways, the music that's made today wouldn't have been made without the music someone made, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. And the same with like magic theory, like the decks we're building today in a lot of ways are built off of the theory work that people were doing in the nineties and then developments that happened, you know, in the late two thousands. So I feel like uh, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't, if you don't appreciate that aspect of it, because it has such a huge impact on our lives today, whether we realize it or not. For sure. And uh, more about your, your college years. Like, what did you study? Did you study music or, or something else? I, I bounced around. Uh, I bounced around a lot. I ended up with a psychology degree eventually, but I, I took music for a little while. I took creative writing uh, for a while and then ended up finally having a bunch of credits and uh, getting, the, getting the psychology degree eventually. So that and actually I, kind of, I made kind of actually applies to what you're doing now just to a, a little bit, right? Maybe more so than music even. Yeah, I, I think it actually does. Uh, yeah, uh, I definitely, I, I actually really like psychology. And I feel like that's one of the courses of study that can apply to your real life and apply to your uh, social media and interacting with people and community building. So I think it actually does, in a weird way, actually apply to what I'm doing now. Yeah. So how do you go from magic to magic content? Like, because there's, you said you started in 04, 05. Uh, obviously, MTG Goldfish wasn't, around then or at least I didn't think it was so how tell me no. about how you got into creating content like because it, it's actually quite a gap from being a player to to doing that no yeah no it really is and it is 
uh, it's just blind luck, really. So the, the story of magic content. Um, so after I got involved in magic, I started, I also kind of got involved in the financial aspect of it. I had this like epiphany one day where I was like, wow, cards are actually like worth money. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that like Card Kingdom <laughs> or Channel Fireball were sites and you could buy cards. We just like okay. had cards and I don't know where they came from the card tree or something. I don't know where right. I thought they came from. But then I finally realized that and uh, I realized you could sell cards and buy lists were a thing and you could sell cards on eBay. So I started like, buying, buying and selling collections, like people selling their collections on Craigslist or wherever. So I'd buy collections and then piece them out as singles. And that was something I just did on the side kind of for fun and to make a little bit of extra money. So as I started doing that, I got more interested in the financial aspect of the game. And I started uh, doing like uh, expected value calculations for sets just for my own personal use. Like, is it worth it to buy a box of this set? If I buy this, how much in value would I ex expect to get out of this box to so try to figure out if I should buy some boxes and then try to sell the cards out of them. And I realized, well, no one's really doing this. So maybe I'll post these on Reddit. And I started posting them on, I think it was the NTG Finance Reddit. And that's actually how I met Richard. Richard had created Goldfish and uh, he also used Reddit. And I guess he liked the <laughs> some of the expected value posts and articles I was writing. And he messaged me and said, ah, like I'm going to start doing content on my website. You should write articles there. Like you can do the same thing. They're just much better tools and you can add card images. And at first, I, I don't think I messaged him back the first time because I didn't take it seriously. I didn't even, uh, I didn't know if it was some like Reddit scam or something. So I don't even think I messaged him back. But then he messaged me again and I was like, all right, I guess this must be, this must actually be real. So I, I messaged him back and it just kind of went from there. So it's the odds of me making magic content are got to be one in one in a million, one in a billion. Like it is just a whole bunch of random quirks of fate that ended up leading me to this spot, I think. Yeah. And now you're, I mean, now you're in a very prominent spot, so I'm glad it, it, it worked out for you. And uh, so it sounds like you started off just sort of scratching your own itch. Like you, you're just, yeah. creating, you're just writing something and sharing something that was like, I'm sort of interested in this topic and I didn't see anyone else doing it. So let's just put it up and see what happens. Right. Yeah, that was that, that was exactly it. I was writing it for myself and then I didn't see it online anywhere. And I thought, well, maybe other people could get value out of this. Maybe other people want to know like how much they get out of a box of whatever set it was at the time. And and it just kind of went from there. And even now, I guess it's still I'm still reading some of your um, articles about expected value. So that's uh, that's very cool. I, I did not know that was your bread and butter, or at least in the beginning it was. Yeah. Yeah. The, the finance thing is, is actually really what I did at first in content that came before any of the video series or anything it was, I mostly wrote finance based content. I had a blog at one point I was writing stuff on goldfish and then I kind of shied away from that eventually because of the video content, um, especially in the early years of budget magic, the pre arena years, sometimes I think a budget deck and card prices would end up shooting up uh, in I felt really weird about doing finance content and having that happen uh, just because I, I don't know, I was afraid it would look like some sort of pump and dump thing or like, I don't know, ethically, it just made me feel very weird. So I started doing less and less finance content and focusing on the video content just to stay really far away from any lines where people think, oh, you're making this video and then trying to buy a bunch of cards so you can sell them for a profit or something. Cause I, it would just be such a, <laughs> I don't know. I want to say very far away from that line or even that perception that anyone could possibly have. Did you actually see that or read about that perception? Or is it just like you have a self-regulating principle or principles? 
I mean, uh, I definitely remember seeing like Reddit comments or so forth of people saying like, oh, like, you know, I bet he's making a ton of money off this or something. I'm like, I'm just trying to make a cool deck. Like I, you know, I borrowed these cards. I'm not making any money off this. So I felt like the easiest way to make that clear was just like kind of mostly cut off doing the finance content. And then more recently, I've kind of come back around to it a little bit more. I still did the expected value articles, but I shied away from doing most other finance content for like several years. But then everything changed. Now there's arena card prices don't spike because of video content anymore because everyone's playing on arena. So uh, now I've kind of come back around to it a little bit and do a little bit more finance stuff. Now there's a different type of finance um, Mm. issue or criticism at work, which is just the fact that arena is like, you know, to brew a deck is effectively the same cost as playing a tier deck. So it, in some ways, like the moto economy is actually better in that sense, because like you can get cards for almost nothing if they're not like standard <laughs> or modern competitive. But uh, it's got its own can of worms, too. And alchemy didn't ha- has its own questions and to be answered, too. Right. So it's 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 interesting to see that evolve, I think. Yeah, that's that's one of my least favorite parts of arena, honestly, is. Uh, people can't get the cards they want or need to play fun decks or the, the economy incentivizes you not to get those cards because yeah, why would you get some incentives. janky mythic yeah. or rare when you could be getting a tier like a goldspan dragon for the same cost as whatever random against the odds mythic i'm playing with so the right choice is to to get the tier stuff and then you end up having people maybe not being able to have as much fun playing magic as they would like to just because they feel like they have to spend their wild cards on like these tier cards rather than cards that maybe they'd enjoy playing more. So I don't know what the solution to it is, but that is one of my biggest frustrations with the arena economy. (laughs) Other than a crazy one that bans like the 50 most popular alchemy cards and create another format for that. I I don't know. I'm just, (laughs) I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Don't do that. Wizards, please. If anyone's listening, which I'm sure they're not. Don't give them ideas. Don't (laughs) give them any ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, but how do you feel about MTG finance today? I mean, I know you're not doing as much articles about it, but just looking at that industry, it's certainly seems like a much larger thing than it was 10 years ago or even five years ago. Right. How do you see that whole, Oh, it definitely I don't, is. But the I, whole I remember, movement, maybe for lack of a better term. Yeah. I yeah. Ooh, I don't know. I, I have very mixed mixed feelings about the whole MTG finance thing. Like, I think the MTG finance is necessary because of how the game's set up. And I think MTG finance done right is hopefully making the game cheaper for people. Being like, hey, like this is a hot deck. The card prices should go up. Go get it. On the other hand, the the speculation aspect of it, oh, that drives me. That drives me absolutely crazy. And I just, because that makes the game less accessible for people when you have these finance moves that are like buying out cards and driving up prices. So I definitely have a a love-hate relationship with it. It's definitely way bigger than it was in the past. I remember when I was buying collections, like it was super easy to get collections off of Craigslist. People would post them and they'd be on there for a week and then you could, you know, go meet them on the weekend. And then uh, now so many people are involved in that aspect of the game that you just really can't do that anymore. That's really a thing of the past. It's so difficult because there's just so many people that are in the finance community. So I don't know. Uh, I, oh yeah, I guess I don't know what else to say about that, honestly. Yeah, this might be, Maybe this is the hardest question you've had so far. Yeah, in this, uh, but, uh, yeah actually, you stumped me on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, now, who was it? Was it Aspiring Spike or somebody? They posted, like, I just got bought some old collection, and it had, like, 
you know, like four FEB duels in it and like a, a C. And it's like nowadays I nothing against him or anybody, but nowadays I see people post like their their super wins on MTG yeah. Finance. And I'm just like, that can't be real, right? Like everybody should yeah. know what magic cards are worth by now. <laughs> like there's the internet. You can go, you yeah. know, Google this and find out like, yeah, you shouldn't be selling your your dual land for like a penny or just not saying that anybody was ripping anybody right. off but like you should have some awareness right it's like if you find a, a sealed box of revised edition in your in your basement like that's got to be you got to know what that is by now right yeah i don't know i would uh, yeah i i think more and more people do i i'm sure there's still some weird world where someone finds it in their basement and just doesn't care and sticks it out of the garage sale and you get a revised box or something but I think that happens way less now than it than it used to because people are wise to it and they know the value of the cards. And we see like, you know, Black Lotus prices breaking into the mainstream media. So people have the idea that like magic cards, even if you're not a big magic player, I think you have it in your head like, oh, these cards could be worth something. So I think it's way less likely that you find those kind of crazy deals or great buys today than like 10 or 15 years ago. Plus we have like MTG Goldfish now and we have so many pricing sites, like uh, all those prices are way more accessible than they were in the past to you. Is there something that you would maybe tell the younger Saffron Olive as a content creator, if you could go back in time to when you first started doing stuff for Goldfish, right? Like, for example, you mentioned, you know, emphasis more or less on certain types of content, but just in general, is there anything that you would maybe tell the younger you? Hmm. I don't know. Lessons learned buy. or warnings or I don't know what it is. Buy, buy EDH cards <laughs> five years ago. Ago, <laughs> Seth. Do not sell all those janky eight drops that you think are worthless because <laughs> they're going to end up being pretty valuable. Seriously, though, like I think, it, I think what I would tell myself is you can you will be able to do good and help people even making magic content. Cause when I started doing magic content, one of my concerns and I love making content, like I fell into it kind of by accident by meeting Richard. And I was like, wow, this is super fun. And at the same time, I was thinking of going to grad school and I was thinking of doing social work and uh, really care about just like trying to make the world a better place and trying to make people's life better on a day-to-day -day basis. Like that's something that I really care about. And one of my fears was like, ah, is this all frivolous? Am I doing something that's just like so meaningless in the grand scheme of things, I'm playing a game on the internet compared to like, you know, doing something that could act, uh, you know, actively be improving someone's life. So that was one of my big concerns and something I've learned over the past few years is you can definitely have that impact making content and doing magic content because I've gotten so many emails from people about how the streams or a video or just like. Uh, I don't know, an interaction that I had with someone actually had like a very important impact on someone's life. So I think that's, that's actually what I would tell myself is like, you know, don't worry about it. You're, you're still going to be able to do good and you're still going to be helping people, even if you're, you know, playing a silly kids game on the internet. In some ways, you're probably helping more people, right? Because if you, if you think about impact as like bringing happiness to somebody, because I, I don't think we need to measure, um, success in life as you know how many dollars are in your bank account or how some of the material things I, i'm not saying we don't we should discount them entirely but i think if you can bring happiness to people who enjoy magic and maybe they're looking forward to an article series from you or a new video it, their their day lights up a little bit more i i think that's that's got to be a good thing right oh yeah i i think it definitely is and that's something i've i've learned i totally agree with you about the 
the money aspect of things. I'm a big believer. I don't know. There was a, there was a study a while ago. I don't know. You've maybe seen it about how, like after, I think at the time it was like $75,000 that you make after you make more than that, it doesn't actually make you any happy, uh, any happier than in, if you're making a million dollars, you're not actually any, much happier than if you're making $75,000, there's huge diminishing returns. And that's something that uh, it really I've like taken to heart and really believe in like, yeah, you do need to have enough money to have a roof over your head and have food. And I've definitely been in places where I didn't have any money and worrying about like, oh, if my car breaks down, like, how am I going to get it fixed? That's definitely making your life less happy. But money has never been a big motivator to me. I think like once you get to that spot, there's so much that matters so much more when it comes down to it, like 80 years from now, 100 years from now, none of us are going to be here anyway. But you can't. So in some sense, nothing we do is really going to matter in the long run. We're all going to be gone. We're all going to be forgotten. But what you can do that matters is have a positive impact on someone today. You can, you know, smile at someone. You can be kind to someone. And that's kind of just like my overall philosophy for life. And that I think shows hopefully in my my content as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the reality is that there's just a lot of smart, kind, bright people that are doing magic stuff, whether it's playing magic or creating magic content or being involved with somehow. And I, I sometimes I joke, like if everybody just, you know, harness all that energy towards something else, like magic, the magic community, we probably have world peace by now, or we probably be living on Mars <laughs> think- because there's, there's a huge brain, brain power around, uh, around this. So it's, it's sort of like the, the opportunity cost of magic. It's like, you know, it, you know, a lot of us, uh, I would say definitely you, you've chosen to dedicate a, a big part of what you, your life, your waking hours to, to this craft. And uh, I, I think it's really, um, it's really noteworthy, right? Because there's definitely other things that we can all do, but we choose this because um, it's meaningful to us or we think it's meaningful to others as well. And I think that's often why the criticism, like, why are you so negative about this game is I don't really enjoy that because like it's like because we do put a lot of ourselves into this game so I think it's natural to want the the best outcomes possible or at least to discuss the best outcomes possible right yeah the 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 criticism comes because we care like that's that's the that's a reason the magic is so important to so many of our lives that that's why there's criticism of the arena economy or whatever, you know, thing that the community doesn't like at the time. So I don't know if that's actually, I don't even think that's really a negative thing. Like sometimes it does get a little too loud and I can see how that could be a turnoff for people on social media or whatever. But I really think that most of the time that criticism is, is coming from a a place of love and a place of caring and like uh, just the importance of the game to people's lives. So I I definitely see that too. So, you know, that line from, from Spider-Man, right? I guess with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm not speaking about Hasbro. I'm speaking about you because for, <laughs> you're basically a magic celebrity and actually not basically, you are a magic celebrity. If anybody saw you walking down the street and they follow magic at all, they would know like, okay, that's Seth, probably better known as <laughs> Saffron Olive. So <laughs> how do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about because you basically said like it's kind of like one in a million that you're doing this, which is maybe factually correct. But the reality mm-hmm. is you're here now. You have a platform. You have a voice. So what what does it mean to be magic famous? Oh, it's definitely, definitely weird. Definitely uh, something that I I wasn't expecting. I think my my thinking has always been 
that uh, the, if you're in a position of uh, of being magic famous, a celebrity, you have a, a voice, you have a platform that it's kind of your responsibility to use that in a positive way. So as long as I've always tried to do is um, kind of be a voice to wizards from the community as much as I can. Cause I feel like there's a lot of really amazing, great people in the community that have great ideas and have really important feelings about the game and different topics. Uh, but it's really hard for that voice to reach wizards. But I'm super blessed because of the community, because of all the support from the community, that I, I'm someone that wizards, a lot of wizards people follow me on Twitter, for example, or I sometimes get messages or can message them if I need to. So I feel that, I feel like I have a responsibility to to kind of uh, be that voice to some extent for the community, uh, whether whether that's you know a positive or a negative from from wizards perspective so that's definitely how I try to treat that I don't know if I always do it correctly but th that's always my goal I think when it comes to uh when it comes to the celebrity aspect there's definitely some pros and cons I think to to having that I think uh, one of the biggest ones is uh, I'm still coming to grips with having a lot of like social media followers um having a lot of followers on like Twitter uh, stuff that I would tweet about five years ago when I had, you know, a handful of followers, I feel like I tweet the same thing today. And with so many people following you, no matter what you say, to some extent, you're going to have someone who disagrees with it, someone who's maybe angry about it, other people who like it. So it's definitely a, been a huge learning experience, I think, but hopefully I'm, I'm improving at it. What do you see as the potential because you talked about the upsides, which is like, you know, you, you can, if you use it for good, you can harness, you can, you can kind of channel the feedback of the community to decision makers, right? For magic. Yep. Do you see any downsides? Like, is it just like, are you just bombarded all the time with uh, DMs or are you, are you just, are there a lot of like constant criticisms? I, I'm not sure what it's like, because I'm not on that level. So yeah. What, what is it yeah. like? What are the downsides? Okay, so there's there's definitely constant DMs, and I, I don't think it's even possible to honestly keep up with all the like notifications I get on social media or something. I think uh, a long time ago, I was uh, saw LSB say in a conversation we were having that he basically responds to what he wants to respond to, and that's something that I've kind of taken to heart. Where I realize if once you get to a certain point, as much as I'd like to respond to every single person that you know sends me a tweet. It's just not, it's not really practical. So that's, that's one of the downsides. I think, I think the other downside is uh, when you mess up, you're messing up in front of a lot of people. And I'm sure there's times when I tweet something and uh, there's times when I tweet something that's like factually incorrect, or there's times when I tweet something and I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have actually said that. I think in general, I, I, I try not to like offend people. That's just not my personality. So I don't really get into that realm of things, but there's certainly been times when I've regretted it. And when, uh, when that happens and you have a lot of people following you, you're going to hear that from a ton of people. There's going to be, you know, hundreds of people telling you how you were wrong or telling you how you messed up. And I think that just, comes with the territory like it's a blessing that you have all these people following you because you have that line to decision makers at wizards that you wouldn't have otherwise but at the same time it can be a curse when when, when you do something stupid you're gonna have you know a lot of people telling you how stupid it was now obviously everyone handles that situation differently because i'm just thinking even in uh work situations things like that does it ever make you want to because of the potential blowback does it ever make you just not want to tweet anything at all like I, I guess some some influencers or some 
some notable people online have started doing that. Obviously, it's a way, but I'm curious if that's ever like crossed your mind or you just think that I don't know how you think about it, basically. I I decided I decided a long time ago that I was just going to be honest and I was just going to share what I was thinking. Sometimes that makes people at Wizards angry because it's critical of them. Sometimes it ends up making people in the community angry because it's saying that, you know, double masters is actually fairly priced or something that isn't the popular thing in the community at the time. Uh, so that's always just been my goal is to share my honest feelings of what I'm thinking and kind of let the chips fall where they're uh, where they may. There was a time when when I kind of would try to go out of my way to make sure I didn't say anything that could maybe make anyone mad. And then I realized that people would get mad anyway. It's just the nature <laughs> of the internet. So then it so started you to feel you can't pointless. win. There's many ways you can And lose, I was like, but, yeah. yeah. So then I was like, well, okay, maybe I should just say, you know, my honest feelings and, and what happens happens. So that's kind of where I am at now. Like, I don't try to offend people or anything like that. And if I, and that especially applies to magic. Like, have you ever seen me something saying, uh, saying something outside of magic that you think is wrong or offensive? I hope that you come to me and tell me like, hey, you're across the line. You shouldn't be saying that because that is not what I'm about. And that's not what I want to do. But as far as magic, I, I'm just going to share my opinions. And if some people get mad, then some people get mad. So you, you just say your truth and, that, and stick to that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my goal. And if, and if I'm wrong, then I'll <laughs> admit that I'm wrong and you know, apologize and move on to the next thing. What would you do if magic didn't exist? if magic didn't exist, I actually don't, I've been doing this for so long. I don't know what I'd be doing. So if magic never existed, I imagine I probably would have went to grad school and would be doing some social work type thing or something. I think that probably would have been the path that I was heading down. Uh, So if magic never existed, if magic just suddenly stopped to exist, I would love to have like a, like a music, like a music YouTube channel. I think that would be super, maybe I'd be playing music. Like maybe I would have just kept pursuing the performance aspect of music and who knows, that's a, a super unstable career that uh, the making it in a, in a band is, you know, not very good odds. So who knows, but probably something with music or I just would have kept doing the, doing the college thing and be doing social work or whatever. Is there still a chance for a Saffron Olive music channel? on youtube or is it just difficult <laughs> given uh, the time and all that it's something i'd really love to do so i'm hoping it's something that i'll do more of so i think it's something that's possible i'm just so busy with magic stuff and so focused on that right now i haven't found time to do it but i would love to just have a channel that just like talks about the obscure old songs that i really love and the history of some of that stuff so who knows i i, I think it'll happen eventually but i don't think it's happening this year or in the near future do you have any particular goals for yourself for MTG Goldfish for this year, 2022? So we talked about, about some of it, I think at the very beginning of the cast, but uh, my focus on kind of doing the the history stuff and some of this nostalgia stuff, that's, that's one of the big, uh, the big goals I have is to make more of that kind of content, make more uh, non-gameplay content. That's something I've always done a little bit, um, but it's something I want to do more of, uh, videos that are, you know, going, uh, some of the, some of the best magic content, I think is the, the content that Sam, uh, Aristic studies makes amazing. Just like the best magic content. So, so good. Uh, and I'm not going to like try to rip Sam off and do his exact videos, but I'd like to do more of that style of content, more of like long form, you know, educational documentary style content. Yeah. So Hopefully this doesn't offend Sam because I, I know Sam as well, but it's more like the shoegazing uh, 
<laughs> long form magic documentary. He's probably got that market cornered. So it'd be very hard to do that, even if you yeah. wanted to. So. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I could beat Sam at being Sam. <laughs> yeah. What's on your personal wish list for things that magic should do in 2022? <clears throat> I mean, so the biggest, the biggest one is Wizards got to fix Arena. Like, that's that. If there was one thing that I get Wizards to do is improve the economy get rid of some of the the bug issue like i want to know that wizards cares about arena and i know they care about the money they make off of arena but as far as like improving the client improving the play experience for players i don't necessarily feel like they care about that aspect i think like i'm sure they do to some extent but i don't feel like they do that much so that would be the that would be the biggest thing for me is i feel like arena is really important to the future of magic and the trajectory it's been on the last year or two has not been super encouraging as far as that stuff for sure okay so if it's okay with you seth i would like to do a a bullet like a lightning round of questions that may not be related Uh, to each other just some of them are submitted is that okay with you yeah let's do it so the best beard in magic what is the origin story behind this Uh, maybe this is just for my own curiosity maybe i missed the memo but like how did this thing start I honestly can't remember how I started. So it's between me and, and Vince, Pleasant Kenobi. Yeah. We both have beards. Uh, Vince is one of my really good friends, one of my favorite like people in the magic community. We're always talking. We've done some stuff together. So we, we like to kind of like meme on each other on, on Twitter a little bit. I don't remember exactly what started it, but one of us started attacking the other one's beard, saying we had the better beard, and it kind of snowballed into a thing. And then and then you got Krim that pops in and, and tries to stake <laughs> his claim, even though he he's the furthest away from a beard out of anyone that i know uh so yeah uh it's just kind of a fun thing that me and vince started doing and i kind of caught on and became a thing so just kind of a meme or a friendly rivalry kind of a playful thing yeah but okay. yeah it's, it's definitely not serious but it, it was it was pretty fun it was just something to talk about on uh, on twitter how does Weezer keep getting better with age? And I really need you to explain this reference. I, I don't know if there's some sort of thing between you and Tomer and uh, and Weezer. Like, what what is this? Did you, did you ever see the the Saturday Night Live skit about Weezer and new new Weezer and old Weezer? Uh, I think Matt Damon was in it. Was from a couple years ago. But oh anyway, gosh, I have not. I, I better go and okay. find that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it, it's actually pretty funny if you know who Weezer is. But uh, but anyway, uh, you kind of get two camps when it comes to Weezer. Um, my personal feeling is that Weezer's first two albums are like some of the best albums of their age, Blue Album and Pinkerton, and then somehow they went to I being agree. maybe the maybe the worst band in the history of magic, like post green album. It is just like, it's painful that something that was so good could become so bad. Tomer is a, is apparently a new Weezer fan. I'm still not sure how anyone actually holds that position that new Weezer is better than old Weezer, but he claims that Weezer's best, uh, best music or their newer album. So that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the breakdown there, but yeah, uh, Weezer. They, well, I mean, uh, they uh, might as well just be two different bands, right? I mean, I'm sure really, Rivers really Cuomo is. is the front man, and I'm sure their band members have changed over the years. But it's not even the same. I'm going to sound hipster for saying it's not the same aesthetic. It's not the same. They're not going for the same thing. It's basically like uh, yeah. a, a mainstream act versus. I, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what the comparison where the comp is. Like, I guess it's sort of like comparing like a modern radio head to when they were a guitar band in the nineties or something like, it's just, it's yeah. not even the same 
band like they have the same name or maybe it's like saying like comparing edh to i don't know standard magic type 2 in the 90s like it's the same rule set or but it's not really yeah. the same thing right yeah no so so yeah that's where that comes from i just i can't stand more recent weezer stuff <laughs> at all but their first albums i still i can still enjoy those albums today even they're they're still really good got it okay well actually a lot of these other questions have been kind of covered you've been very generous with answering all the questions i've been throwing at you including the um Actually, no, there's one. There's one. All right. So can you describe EDH or Commander to someone who's never played EDH? Ooh. EDH is it's a it's Mario Party with with cards, basically. That's how I think <laughs> of it. Like EDH, it's like it's the you get together with your friends and you have some drinks or whatever you want to do, and you just have a really good time. It's it's the party game of magic. So yeah. so that's kind of how I think of it at the risk of making this a bad joke. So it's the party game, Mario party, where you have to decide ahead of time, like is the power level. Okay. You know, what dice should we be using? How do we roll the dice? Uh, you know, what does the board look like? Is it okay if I win right now and you lose right now? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that that's true. Hopefully if you got a, a solid play group, you can skip over some of that stuff. But you just kind of know, eventually if you play with the same people over and over and over again, but yeah. Excellent. So Seth, it's been a pleasure. What is the best way that people can find you on social and find your content? Uh, so I am at Saffron Olive pretty much everywhere. Twitter, uh, well, I guess it's mostly just Twitter. Also, I, I have Saffron Olive on Twitch. Uh, and then MTG Goldfish um, for streaming, uh, YouTube. Also, uh, you can follow the Goldfish Twitter as well. I don't actually run that one. Richard does, but you should follow it. So yeah, Saffron Olive and MTG Goldfish are the, the easiest ways to find me on the internet. Excellent. Thank you so much, Seth, for taking the time. And I wish you uh, an excellent rest of the week. Thanks so much for having me. It was super fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Humans of Magic and visit our website, humansofmagic.com. We'll see you next time.